Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes And welcome to the show Oh my god, it's gonna be a hell of a ride today Hello, tokers and tokets and non-token lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. And uh, welcome to the show. I'm coming to you live from Hollywood, Florida, and I'm still a little bit worked up here. (laughs) I'm staying at the historic Hollywood Beach Resorts uh, here in Florida, and over the past hour, I have had an incident with the front desk over the Wi-Fi that I'm talking to you on right now. Basically, the Wi-Fi wasn't working, and so I went down and called the front desk to ask why it wasn't working and to possibly get a reboot, and, well, long story short, the guy hung up on me, and so that made me mad, and I went down to the front desk, and I confronted him about that, and he threatened to punch me in my mouth. So I went back and got my phone and my video camera and went down to see if he would confirm that he indeed wanted to punch me in the mouth. And if you check out my Facebook page, Radical Russ on Facebook, you can see the video of him trying to swat the phone out of my hand, throwing something at me, and again threatening me. So I'm a little worked up, (laughs) and it doesn't help that I've had a couple of uh, pina coladas on the beach today, so... My apologies, folks. I'm sorry. I'm a little aggro today. I'm a little worked up, and it's I'm having trouble getting my focus for the show, and uh, I'm sorry. I, I really apologize for this, but sometimes real life intrudes, and that's the way it goes. And one thing you can count on uh, being a listener to the Russ Belleville show is I'm going to always be honest with you and always uh, present myself in a uh, forthcoming way. So... That's that's the deal today. I'm I'm a little worked up and a little upset, and I'm trying to get myself calmed down for the show. So let's get into it. Let's talk about marijuana. Let's talk about something a little bit uh, more friendly than what I've been through today. And uh, today on our show, our guest will be Fran Janik. He's a longtime activist in Montpelier, Vermont, who has been sitting in on the House of Representatives there in Vermont as they've been discussing a Senate bill to legalize the adult use of marijuana and to create uh, marijuana markets like we have out West. There've been a couple of uh, responses from the house of representatives, uh, a couple of bills, one that would have decriminalized the personal possession and cultivation of two cannabis plants and some other amendments that have been offered all throughout the day. I've been following Fran throughout the day on his posts and it's really kind of confusing where we are at now with respect to legalization in the state of Vermont. So we're going to talk to Fran at half past. He'll give us the latest updates from the house of representatives in Vermont to let us know what's going on with marijuana legalization down there. Also coming up on the show today, we'll have time for behind the headlines. And there's an interesting branding study that has uh, come out to talk about the use of the marijuana leaf as a part of mainstream cannabis branding 
And I've got some problems with some of their conclusions. So we'll talk a little bit about that and behind the headlines. Also coming up on the show, drug board data mining. We're going to take a look at the statistics from Washington State on the ease of access for young people to cannabis since they've legalized marijuana. And you probably won't be too surprised by the numbers that we find find, uh, lately from Washington State. And then uh, when we get to the end of the show, we'll have time for the Radical Rant. And uh, I've got a clip from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, a question and answer session for growers and retailers looking to get into the legal business in the state of Oregon. We'll follow that up in hour two with Leland Berger, Pioneer Pete, and Anthony Taylor giving you various uh, looks at the marijuana industry in the state of Oregon. All coming up on the Russ Belleville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Senator Mark Madsen of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state. Representative Lou Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent possession offenses. State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go from personal use to commercial use? It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. Oakland, California. Federal prosecutors with the Department of Justice have dropped a four-year civil asset forfeiture case against Harborside Health Center, America's largest medical marijuana dispensary. Open since 2006 and hailed as the national model by the New York Times and others, Harborside Health Center, along with other dispensaries and commercial landholders across California, faced threat of closure by the federal government's crackdown on the properties of those who were renting to medical cannabis businesses. It has been reported that over 600 
dispensaries were shuttered in California as a result of this tactic. In July of 2012, Harborside was served with notices of civil forfeiture by U.S. attorneys to seize the buildings that housed its dispensaries in both Oakland and San Jose. The settlement of the case is subject only to Harborside agreeing not to pursue any further claims against the government and not to pursue any appeals. Montpelier, Vermont. The the Vermont House rejected a marijuana legalization proposal on Tuesday, scuttling the hopes of legalization advocates for marijuana drug reform after promising votes in the state Senate earlier this year. If passed, Vermont would have been the first state to legalize marijuana through the legislature rather than by referendum. It would also have brought legalization closer to New England, the region considered the next frontier for major marijuana policy reform. Instead, the Vermont House voted 121 to 28 to reject a marijuana legalization bill, which was passed by the state Senate at the urging of Governor Pete Shumlin in February. The bill would have legalized, regulated, and taxed marijuana for those 21 and older, but it was more restrained than legalization ballot initiatives in many ways. It wouldn't have legalized edibles, wouldn't have allowed for home cultivation, and legal sales wouldn't go into effect until 2018. Augusta, Maine. A proposal to use marijuana to battle opioid addiction is being processed by the Department of Health and Human Services. Tuesday marks the deadline for public comments on the proposal to add opioid addiction to the list of conditions that qualify for medical marijuana in Maine. DHHS spokesman John Martin says the agency has until July 10th for a decision. Advocates point to a study in the Journal of Pain this year that found chronic pain sufferers reduced opioid use when taking medical cannabis. But the research falls short of concluding marijuana helps wean people off heroin and prescription opioids. Maine legalized marijuana for medical use in 1999. A separate proposal on the November ballot would legalize marijuana for recreational use in the state of Maine. Berlin, Germany. Hermann Grohe, the health minister of Germany, announced that he will be presenting draft legislation to the German parliament for legalization of medical marijuana, saying, quote, Our goal is that seriously ill patients are treated in the best possible way, end quote. He also said cannabis would only be available from licensed pharmacies with a prescription. Currently, possession of personal amounts of cannabis in Germany is a crime punishable by up to five years in prison. Denver, Colorado. Colorado schools would be required to allow medical marijuana use under a bill awaiting the governor's pen. Governor John Hickenlooper says he supports the school requirement. Senators voted 35-0 to Tuesday in favor of the bill. It makes Colorado the second state to require schools to accommodate student pot use. The bill says schools must permit non-smokable marijuana medicines at school as long as the school districts agree and the the drug is administered by a parent or adult caregiver. The bill has already passed the House. Ashland, Kentucky. Henry Clay was a Speaker of the House and Secretary of State who represented Kentucky in the House of Representatives and the Senate. He ran for and lost the election for president in 1824, 1832, and 1844. And for the first time in 130 years, today hemp seeds were planted at the estate of Henry Clay. Eric Brooks, the curator of the Henry Clay Museum, said, quote, There can be no doubt that hemp played a central role in Henry Clay's life and that he was key to the Kentucky industry in the antebellum period, end quote. On June 11th, the foundation will host Henry Clay's Hemp Symposium, featuring historical speakers and an educational session about hemp plants. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
we have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I want to take a look at the branding that exists in the marijuana industry. And I'm uh, brought to this by a story in techinsider.io, which uh, refers to a contest that was held by a magazine called Surface. Uh, Surface Magazine in April challenged 12 leading design firms to create packaging for the future Starbucks of weed, a fictional marijuana brand. And the point of this article is that these design companies came up with these different branding uh, for marijuana that didn't use the cannabis leaf. According to the report here, 44% of the logos that are registered as trademarks for weed-related businesses use the marijuana leaf in their imagery, according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And this, uh, the example they show are some uh, leafs from uh, Marley Natural, for example, or uh, leafs by Snoop and so on, that encourage or, or have some represent- representation of the cannabis leaf in them. According to this report in Tech Insider, they say, as a result, the marijuana industry is unable to shed the kitsch vibe that prevents it from being taken seriously. As the industry transitions from a black market to a $5.4 billion business, it must unburden some of the cliches, reggae music, Rastafarian colors, and Cheech and Chong, just to name a few. And this is something that's bothered me for a long time as we've been seeing the legalization of our industry. And that is this idea that the people and the culture and the vibe associated with marijuana in the past, for some reason, needs to be shed. We need to get rid of this vibe for some reason. 
For some reason, Rastas and hippies and Willie Nelson and Cheech and Chong are bad things that we need to get rid of. And I couldn't disagree more. As far as I'm concerned, the marijuana legalization that is happening now is only happening because of the marijuana leaf and the Rastafarians and reggae and Cheech and Chong, which throughout the dark ages of prohibition were the only cultural affectations to represent our cause, to stand up for our liberation. And to me, turning our backs on those brands and turning our backs on those images is, is just a tragedy. It's something that we should not be letting the mainstream marketers convince us is necessary. They want to try to pigeonhole marijuana and marijuana consumers into some sort of post-60s hippy-dippy vibe, and then they want to denigrate that to try to show themselves as some new sort of evolution of marijuana. They seem to think that there's this stigma that is involved with all of that imagery and all of that uh, framing that is detrimental to the marijuana market. And while I'm a student of framing and while I believe strongly in the proper framing of our movement, I don't believe that that requires us throwing out all of the culture that has built this movement and, and a culture that goes back far before Cheech and John goes back to Louis Armstrong, goes back to Gene Krupa, goes back to Cab Calloway and Ella Fitzgerald. And, and if it is wrong to denigrate those people and those cultures at that time, it's just as wrong to denigrate our culture and our people at this time. It's time for the marketers and for the mainstream business people to recognize there's nothing sinful, there's nothing evil, there's nothing disgusting about the pot leaf or the Rasta colors or Cheech and Chong. That these things are a testament to how strong this belief in the cannabis plant is. That this culture, despite being made illegal, despite being made public enemy number one could still thrive, could still compete, could still survive in this prohibitionary element. So no, let's not reject those old school vibes. Let's resuscitate those old school vibes. Let's reflect on how the hippies were right, how they were right about sustainable ecology, how they were right about the healing aspect of this plant. We don't need to reject all of these things because those things were right. They may need to be repackaged a little. We may need to repackage it a little so that people understand that you can, you can sustain these values, you can believe these things without having long hair, without having a bunch of piercings, without being a totally counterculture person. But that doesn't mean we need to completely reject these artifacts of our culture, that we need to reject these, these standards that we've set for ourselves and these beliefs that we've come up with because time has proven these beliefs to be right, to be proper, to be functional in this society. I'm not going to sit here and let them denigrate the pot leaf, something that is a symbol of nature. It always killed me to see them blur out the pot leaf on, on music videos as if nature itself was somehow obscene. 
like nature itself somehow needed to be blurred out so that the kids didn't understand that what we were talking about as a drug was actually natural. Everybody does that. Yeah, but Daddy says I'm the best at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, happy 420 to all our friends out in the Mountain Time Zone. It's 620 here in the Eastern Time Zone, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take it into some drug war data mining, how marijuana legalization did not increase teen use in Washington State when we return. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that too. Okay, maybe you're high too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at a post on Reason.com, posted by our friend Jacob Sullum, who notes that marijuana legalization did not initially boost underage access in Washington. The percentage of students who say pot is easy to get 
has shown little change in recent years. Now, we do have to add the caveat here that the data that we're getting, the survey data from Washington State, uh, is only from 2014, and recreational sales only began in the middle of 2014. So we only really have six months of data in 2014. Can't really make a lot of conclusions yet, but preliminary data are showing us that the legalization hasn't really changed much in Washington State. According to the Washington State Healthy Youth Survey, they cover this every even year, so it's like 2014, 2012, 2010, and so on. 66% of high school seniors said it would be sort of easy or very easy for them to obtain marijuana in 2014. Now, in 2012... 66% of the seniors said it would be sort of easy or very easy. So it it hasn't changed. From 2012 to 2014, no difference. Two-thirds of high school seniors in Washington say it's pretty easy to get a hold of weed. Now, when we look at the 10th graders, the figure rose slightly. It did go from 51% to 53%. Statistically speaking, that's not really significant, but we will admit that it did go up a tiny bit on the 10th graders. For the 8th graders, though, it fell from 26% to 21%, a five-point drop. So we can't get too excited about the two-point rise amongst amongst 10th graders when we got a five-point drop amongst 8th graders. And even amongst 6th graders, the access stayed at 7% from 2012 to 2014. So no major differences. We, had, we didn't see the sky fall in Washington State when it came to how easy it would be to get marijuana. And if we look back farther to 2010, it's actually slightly harder to get marijuana in Washington State for these kids than it was before. In 2010, for the 12th graders, it was 67% that uh, said it was easy or sort of easy to get marijuana. And again, it's 66% now in 2014. Among the 10th graders, it was 54%. Today, it's 53%. Among the 8th graders, it was 23%. Today, it's 21%. And among the 6th graders, it was 9%. Today, it's down to 7%. So what we're seeing here, at least in the Washington numbers, is... Nothing. We're not really seeing any increase amongst these kids at all. And there's a journal uh, article coming up. It's in the Journal of Adolescent Health, and it was previewed at a conference in Baltimore on Sunday. Notes that the share of 10th graders reporting easy access was essentially the same. Uh, According to one of the study's authors, uh, the New York pediatrician Andrew Addisman from the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, Pediatrics said, quote, it is both surprising and reassuring that teens didn't perceive that marijuana was easier to access after it was legalized for recreational use by adults. This was part of their press release that was titled Legalization of Marijuana in Washington State Shown to Have No Effect on Teens' Access to Drugs. And this is uh, important because so many of the fears of the prohibitionists have always been built on the what about the children argument. The idea that if we legalized, oh my God, children would have access to marijuana. 
But these data are showing us that throughout the grades, 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th, there has been no significant statistical change in their access to marijuana. We've also seen in both Colorado and Washington no significant statistical change in the use rates by those grades. Now, the prohibitionists will try to scare you. They'll try to say, well, there's been more marijuana-related school expulsions, or there have been more marijuana-related emergency room visits, or there have been more marijuana-related admissions to rehabs. And for that, you have to understand a very simple precept in statistics. And that is, just because you went fishing on Tuesday and caught yourself two fish, and then you went fishing on Wednesday and caught yourself 14 fish, it doesn't mean there's more fish in the river. You may have changed what you were fishing with. On Tuesday, you might have had a pole. On Wednesday, you might have had a net. And the same phenomenon is going on here with respect to the statistics, with respect to admissions and ER and all of that, and poison control in Colorado and Washington. Now we have teachers that are specifically looking for this. Now we have people that are willing to turn themselves into emergency rooms because they know they won't get busted when they turn themselves in. It's almost impossible to make any sort of apples-to-apples comparisons of the statistics that existed during Prohibition versus the statistics that come after Prohibition, because the main confounder in all of those those Prohibition statistics is the fact that it's illegal, and that admitting anything about it, turning yourself in for any reason about it, is cause for you to be punished, to lose your assets, to lose your job, to be incarcerated. So of course, we have fewer people turning themselves into poison control when they overdose on marijuana because they know they could get busted for it. And now they're less reluctant to want to seek medical assistance. These things are quite clear to anyone that thinks through these things. Unfortunately, prohibitionists don't think much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got activist Fran Janet from the state of Vermont. He'll have a great update for us on what's happened with marijuana reform when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. 
It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may in fact be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay, maybe you're high too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Activism begins with ACT. The Russ Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everyone. 33 and a half after the hour, and we are reaching out to Fran Janik. He's a longtime listener to the show, and he's been sitting in at the Vermont legislature, checking out what they've been doing as far as the marijuana legalization and reform bills that have been posted there. Uh, the uh, line hasn't connected yet. We're still dialing out to France. So we'll see if we can get them. But uh, to kind of wind this up for you to understand what's been going on, the state of Vermont has been threatening to be the first state to pass marijuana legalization through its legislature. And this, of course, would be a huge boon to the legalization movement as more than half of the United States don't have any sort of initiative petition power. And so those states are going to have to pass marijuana legalization through their legislatures. And if the Vermont legislature could get together and come up with a legalization plan, that might open up the gates for other states in these non-initiative states uh, to be able to pass their own sort of marijuana legalization. Unfortunately, it seems that in the state of Vermont, we've uh, come up against a severe divide between the two sides, between the Senate and the House. And originally, what was proposed by the House was a bill that would legalize the possession of marijuana and would create a series of state-licensed grows with retail pot shops. However, it would not allow for personal home grows. That's kind of problematic to me. I, I would prefer the legalization to have personal home grows, but that's what came out of the Senate bill. Then on the House side, the Vermont House had decided on some bills that would legalize personal home, home cultivation, actually decriminalize it. So there would still be penalties if you were caught, but you could still grow two plants. And again, two plants is, is a far sight from what we'd like to see. But the House had passed some bills and a couple of committees about home decrim cultivation. 
Unfortunately, those bills have been voted down, and what it seems like has happened, and if I'm, if I'm reading the updates correctly, that the Senate version got voted down. So there will be no uh, uh, marijuana market, no marijuana legalization as we'd like to see it in the state of Vermont. It's important to remember that the state of Vermont does have marijuana decrim, so it does have possession of, I think it's less than an ounce, is, is still just a civil offense with a ticket. And the House had proposed an amendment, I understand, that would have decriminalized the two-plant home grow. That is, they rejected the market. They rejected the idea of state-licensed growers and state-licensed pot shops. But instead, were embracing the idea of two-plant home decriminalization so that you could grow a couple plants, you could possess some weed, it would all still be illegal, but you would only get fines for it. And from the latest I've heard in, in the state of Vermont, even that proposal uh, doesn't seem to have gone very far. And I was hoping to get Fran on the line for us to uh, discuss this, and I've been dialing him here for the past uh, five minutes. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like his line is going to connect. So we're going to have to take a break and try to figure out what we're going to do here for this Vermont update. Uh, we'll try and get uh, Fran on the line with us, but uh, stay tuned. We're doing it live here from Hollywood, Florida. I'm Radical Russ with CannabisRadio.com. Stick around. is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone. Of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. You don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. <laughs> I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. All right, everybody. You're welcome. not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wackabird, 
then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Welcome back, everybody. Radical Russ here in uh, Hollywood, Florida, where we're connected now. I believe we've got, uh, I think we've got Fran Janik on the line. No, he just dropped off the line while I was trying to switch the mic. Ah, damn it, Fran, call back, please. (laughs) Just, I couldn't get to the connection quick enough, and uh, he heard nothing but silence. So uh, we'll see if we can get him to call back. Uh, We are doing it live here, and uh, yeah. Yes, Fran, I'm trying to tweet back to you that, yes, it's silence when you first call in. Yes, call back, (laughs) and we'll see what we can do here. All right, let's see. Uh, Do we have you on the line? Fran, are you there and available for us? Hi, Russ. How are you doing? Yeah, we're here in Vermont. I guess we finally got through there. A little bit of trouble there. Yeah, sorry about the connection uh, difficulties. The Internet has not been very friendly here at this hotel, but uh, glad to have you on the line. And uh, I was hoping you could tell our listeners, you know, what's been brewing down there in Vermont because it's gone back and forth. We thought we'd get legalization. Now it looks like we won't. What's the latest? We didn't. Um, We we did not. No, we did not get a bill for even uh, decrim on two plants. Uh, They're leaving the laws exactly as they are as far as legalization goes. Um, There were some adjustments made in during this house, uh, during this uh, during in the in the transportation committees where they've actually um, made very bad penalties for people that are using any cannabis, uh, 1.5 nanograms per milliliter uh, is a DWE. Wow. So, uh, and you combine that with alcohol, and your alcohol BAC goes from 0.08 to 0.05. Wow. Okay, so we've gone backwards into the stoned age. Um, so we're actually left we are, with, with worse laws now than when we started this whole debacle? Well, we have more restrictive laws that they're going to try and enforce on the road, which I think is going to be interesting uh, because, as we know, uh, the, the 1.5 nanograms per milliliter is not something that is supported by science at this time. Yeah, 1.5 um, nanograms it, per milliliter is what I'm at after three days of abstinence. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I have that in my fing- I have that in my fingernails a month later as a you know as a registered patient, and uh, of course that makes it illegal for me to drive as of July 1, 2016, in the state of Vermont. My goodness. So, any patient would have that issue if somebody pressed it, um, and that's going to be a major concern. Uh, but the, the the way this whole thing went today and the last two days was we had an opportunity to get at least a bill through for home grow, even if it was just decrimmed, so it was fines. Um, this was not optimal, but we thought if we could get anything out of this session, um, it would lead towards... Uh, a better situation for uh, cannabis uh, consumers in Vermont. We also wanted to free up uh, uh, the access for people that are using it medicinally but cannot uh, gain um, uh, legal access through the current broken medical program. S214 did pass, and I can speak to that separately, but for the moment, to stay on path here, we started uh, two days ago with the opportunity to get this Home grow. We came very close to it. Um, there were uh, very loud and 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 uh, adamant people in there against any legalization, and we lost by seven votes. It was seventy votes for, seventy-seven against in the House in the final vote. Um, one bright light in this is that we did not do the Ohio. Uh, we managed to kill 
the original bill S two four one, which uh, the Vermont Senate had tried to reinsert into the criminal bill that had to be dissected in the last two days uh, to go through this process, and that was uh, voted down uh, strongly. Uh, the House members seeing clearly that this was not the way for Vermont to go in the future when we do go to legalization and to retail. So this will now become an issue in the uh, fall elections. Okay. Now, you mentioned the other bill that got through. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that's S-14. That was a medical bill. Um, That will improve incrementally uh, the lot of of Vermont's medical patients, uh, reducing the amount of time necessary for you to have a relationship with a doctor down to 90 days uh, with exceptions for patients who are already in the system and for a doctor, for instance, can, can review medical records from another doctor from out of state, and uh, uh, that patient can get a card right away once the uh, doctor signs uh, to confirm the diagnosis, because it's not a recommendation. It's not a prescription here in Vermont. Um, there's also uh, the added uh, one, they've added one uh, acceptable condition in glaucoma, and as my ophthalmologist told me about a week ago, uh, my glaucoma is going nowhere. It is indeed stable. So we've, we've managed to get that through to them and get that one condition. But again, we have such a limited program that this still leaves many medical users uh, unable to afford medicine and unable to get it in the legal system. What a shame. And, and for a lot of people listening out there, they may not have recognized or realized that Vermont didn't have glaucoma in its original medical marijuana bill. It's one of the few states that doesn't recommend glaucoma. In fact, uh, the federal government still gives weed to LV Musica every month for glaucoma. So this is this is good news. It is excellent news for anyone with just glaucoma. I happen to have other issues, chronic pain, that have allowed me to qualify for a number of years. But as I pointed out multiple times in, in many situations with legislators and others, Uh, If I did not have that, my glaucoma certainly would have worsened over the last couple of years. So and I'm a photographer. I, nobody knows that. I'm a photographer, so there you go. I've got to be able to see. To work even. <laughs> yeah, good point. It helps a little. Now, uh, yeah. what is the uh, prognosis after this? I mean, there's going to be another session. There's going to be another session. There's going to be more push for this. I mean, where, what's the state of reform in Vermont after these these bills? We will get no action until 2017 when the legislature reconvenes. Um, the laws will stay the same. You will be decrimmed for up to one ounce in your possession. Your cannabis will be taken, and you will be fined. Um, of course, that brought in about $140,000 to the state of Vermont's coffers last year. And, of course, the all-important uh, dispensary income to the state is around between the patients buying cannabis the licensing for the dispensaries and other ancillary items uh, brings into the state somewhere between four and five hundred thousand a year. So the state has successfully protected those two income streams. My goodness. All right. Well, Fran Janik, I want to thank you for all the work you've been doing there at the Vermont legislature. And if you've got any uh, contacts or plugs you'd like to give out for people to get involved with this in Vermont, uh, please give them now. Well, we'd all like you to tell your legislators what you thought and vote in November. And Vermont Homegrown is our group still. We have a Facebook page, and uh, we have a community's website that's accessible from there. You can listen to 
all the uh, radio uh, events that we've we've attended and and we we've spoken just like here on Russ's show. So we appreciate you talking to your legislatures if you live in Vermont, and uh, we appreciate your support at Vermont Homegrown. Thank you, Fran. Thank you for being a supporter of the show and for reporting into us on what's going on there in the Green Mountain State. We really appreciate it. Russ, thanks for all you do and have, for having us on board. Have a good evening. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. To the uh, questioner, I would like to point out that in this transition phase, from, OLC, from medical OHA into OLCC, there is the issue that the patients own the plants. And so there is a pathway through this process and this transition so that the patients either get those plants back or get appropriately compensated for those because you have to do that because they own it and you're fixing to go into a situation where they don't own it anymore so uh, keep that in mind as you begin to make those transitions and, and that's probably something that should be written into the personal agreements uh, and and i meant to meant to mention this there should be a written personal agreement now with every single patient you have and it has to comply with the, with the regs on that and part and the, the important thing is to make sure that the magic language in there is that the patient is assigning the rights, title, and interest to the, to the excess uh, product, met medicine, to the grower. Um, Robert, what about, what about seeds? So I understand the clarification on moving things across in terms of plants. What about seeds and other genetic materials? Well, are you, are you talking about the startup, I assume? What the rules are that once you're issued the license, there's going to be a 90-day window that you can get your starts from any source. So you have a source for seeds. You can get the seeds and bring them in and begin propagating them. That's supposed to expire at the end of the year, he said. That is something that we're going to have to take up if, if the, the, the license isn't issued by that time. Then we need to, to, to see how the OLCC will deal with that. I think when the rule was written, they anticipated all the producers would have 
who would have been filed by now. So if you, if you have the seeds, though, you can transfer the inventory. Yes, right? that's my understanding. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Robert. One question over here. Uh, Hardy Lee, Convergent Pacific. I'm an engineer, so I, since you mentioned the land use, uh, say the county allow you to grow colony. How, as a potential grower, would you worry the policy change Five years later or ten years later? Are, are you meaning the, the land use change? Yeah. Um, it, the way the land use rules work, uh, they're pretty much in stone. Um, the land use has developed a long time ago. It has suffered very little change. So I think as, an, as making an investment in a business over long term, there's a lot of certainty and clarity about land use rules and that they're not going to be changed out from underneath an existing situation. But again, that's going to be subject to the local politicians. And that's why I say get out and vote and vote cannabis. And the deadline to vote for the May uh, primary is um, Tuesday or Wednesday. So say, Tuesday. so say I'm the uh, facility owner right now, a grower approach us. I want to lease your property a box of food like the senator uh, mentioned earlier. So we're not worried about this, uh, this contract is going to be, you know, turned down in five years because the, the legislature or the local law, you know, government not able to continue the lease. I, again, I, I don't, I can't speculate as to what what's going to happen in a specific situation, but there's a lot of certainty and clarity presently that, and, and looking back, there's not been a lot of changes in that area. So just a small clarification. You said you could transfer your medical to REC and you had a 90-day window. Was that for vegetative plants or was that for any plant? As I, it was explained to me, Two hours ago by Will from the OLCC, it could be flowering plants. You know, it's for a long time we've been required to, uh, at least on the medical side, um, you know, we're restricted to six plants per patient and we were only allowed 18 seedlings or immature plants, you know, to get started. That rule has changed and now you can have your six plants, but you can have an unlimited number of immature plants, and that distinction is flowering versus non-flowering. So um, one of my friends commented what kind of reaction that the law enforcement community might have when they fly over somebody that's got 20 acres of starts growing, you know. And that's part of the dynamic, or the part of the equation here with this 90-day uh, period where you can get your starts from any place because it's kind of that magic sort of thing. Where do you get these starts and where do you get the seeds? Um, after the and that sunsets in a year, um, and the reason that it's set up that way is so you could get your starts, of course. But once the licensees are granted and there's those certain growers out there that that's all they're doing is producing starts, then then that's where you go to get your product or other licensees. So.
That's how you're going to do it. Um, so OSHA requires uh, aisleways of a minimum of 22 inches in occupiable workspaces. I was wondering if those uh, aisle spaces are able to be subtracted from the overall canopy. Is I think if the way the rules are that it's the canopy that's counted. So in establishing your your situation to comply with OSHA, it's, your plan should include that the the written plan that's submitted that your canopy is for the specific canopy areas excluding the aisleways. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on this uh, personal agreement? Is that a thing? Is that a form? Is that a nest? That's a necessary contract between a patient and a medical grower, and does, and is it, that Peter? Peter, the, the, the rules for the for, for the agreement are, are in the uh, the, the uh, revised rules that came out. The seventy-seven pages. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, the seventy-seven pages. But the the agency is not is not endorsing a particular agreement. And basically they're telling the, the, the growers, go, go seek counsel or some other source to, to get that agreement. Does that, does that, would that sort of thing give a patient um, legal recourse against their grower? Well, well that's, that, see, that opens up a whole can of worms. Because <laughs> if you start putting in a, whole, a lot of, you know, you know, terms and conditions, and then remedies, and then then it's six pages long. Um, I, I'm trying to use a, a format that is as general as possible on one page that is simple for the for the patient to understand and read. But it should also lay out what they're going to get and when they're going to get it. Because I hear, I've heard horror story after horror story about growers disappearing on their patients after the season and things like that. That, that a, is a real, a real risk. So well, that's why the need for the agreement. And when we were um, discussing the language for this, um, part, of the, part of the dialogue that didn't get adopted was dispute resolution uh, over the, with these agreements. So... We're going to see that work out, I'm sure, but it wasn't in the language, so we're going to have to deal with it individually and with attorneys. All right, thank you very much. I'm sorry we're out of time. We have to start the next panel. Let's hear it again, Robert Graham, Chelsea, Anthony. Thank you very much. I'm sure they will be interested in answering more of your questions and talking to you in the hallway or in the vendors. I think uh, everybody's very excited. All right, that's information from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. And we got more of that coming up in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. You'll hear from Leland Berger on the law regarding marijuana extracts in the state of Oregon. Also, Pioneer Pete, one of the state's leading extractors, has a few words to say. And then we'll follow it up with Anthony Taylor, who is a longtime medical marijuana advocate in the state of Oregon. Plus, you'll get my thoughts on what's going on here in the state of Florida when we kick off hour two at the top of the hour. That's all the time we got for hour one. Thanks for joining us. I'm Radical Russ, live from Hollywood Beach, Florida. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, Tokers and Toquettes. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. I'm hanging out in this uh, beach resort in Hollywood Beach, Florida. So glad you could join us here on the show. I've been a little aggro today. Got to admit, it's not my best of days. I had one of the front desk clerks threaten to punch me in the mouth, so uh, that's got me a little, uh, <laughs> a little riled up. I have never experienced service so bad as what I've experienced here at the historic Hollywood Beach Resort. I guess it's no surprise they've got a 1.5 star rating on Yelp. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, see what I've been dealing with, uh, just follow my Facebook page out at Radical Russ on Facebook. You can learn all about that. Coming up here in hour two, we've got some more highlights from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. All of the information you need to know if you want to become a licensed business operator in the state of Oregon. Coming up after the first break, we've got Leland Berger, one of the leading uh, attorneys in the state of Oregon. I was going to say criminal defense attorney, but he's more than that now. He's doing business consulting, so... I guess I just say attorney. Uh, one of the leading attorneys there in Portland, Oregon, Leland Berger, will be speaking coming up to the first break, uh, leading up to our 20 after. Then uh, that'll be followed by Pioneer Pete. He's one of the leading extractors in the state of Oregon uh, in the medical side, now 
transitioning to the recreational side. He's got a lot to say. And then we'll follow it up with Anthony Taylor, one of the leading medical marijuana advocates in the state of Oregon. He's been doing great work for years and years. And we get his take on how recreational marijuana legalization needs to uh, embrace and, and be able to work alongside of the medical marijuana industry. So all that coming up here in hour two with our special Oregon Marijuana Business Conference edition of Toker Talk Radio. But in the meantime here, I want to give a shout out to at Policy Concerns on Twitter. I've been going uh, rounds with this guy on Twitter um, who thinks that we should keep marijuana illegal. Just one of these typical Twitter battles that I go through. And it's just, it's funny because this guy brings up the, uh, you know, because anytime I'm confronted by these guys, these anti-pot, you know, crusaders, I always bring up the point that if you think prohibition is so awesome, if you really think you can stop people from smoking pot in order to maintain some sort of social order, why don't you ever advocate for ending or abolishing or repealing the 21st Amendment? Why don't you advocate for reinstating alcohol prohibition? And his answer, he comes back with his answer. He says, alcohol had millennia of mainstream use and centuries of established brands and commercial distribution. Pot hasn't. Do do you really get what they're saying when they tell you that? What they're telling you right there is that it's a culture war. That we can't go and ban alcohol because, oh, gosh darn it, it's too late. Oh, gee, it's just too late. We just have to accept all the drunk driving accidents, the domestic violence. We we just have to accept it because it's been around for millennia and there's been centuries of branding. It's just too late. There's been too much time. So that means that they think that marijuana prohibition is a case of nipping it in the bud. That if we just catch it early enough, we can stop it. Well, guess what, guys? It's too late already. There are 28 million of us that are using marijuana in this country. 28 million. It's too late. We've had marijuana culture in this country since Louis Armstrong, for fuck's sake. You're not stopping it. So the only thing you're doing is adding misery to this country by trying to ban the people that are using it. And thanks for admitting that it is a culture war. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. 
oh my god, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of, of many of those things, and, and wind ourselves in a, a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's almost nine after the hour, and we bring you more from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference took place last weekend in Eugene, Oregon, and some of the top experts in the state of Oregon opined on the state of Oregon medical and recreational marijuana legalization. Coming up next, we've got Leland Berger, one of the leading cannabis attorneys in the state of Oregon, and his opinion on the state of extracts, cannabis extracts in the state of Oregon under marijuana licensing. Enjoy. Uh, next is Lee Berger to speak about extracts. Um, hi. I want to uh, segue a little bit into um, extraction by talking about a little more about the processing stuff, if I can, the, or the concentrates. Um, and also about the dosage limits. Uh, you know, one activist who's not here, who's a, is a lawyer, is uh, Amy Margolis. And despite the differences that many of us have with her on many policy dis- decisions, she at the Medical Rules Advisory Committee really stood up for us on these dosage limits. And, and basically what happened was the health authority tried to find a balance between Amy's arguments and the arguments from a group that showed up, you know, at the very last minute with the OLCC, the Pediatric Emergency Room Physicians, who are all, what about the children, and, you know. So it, it, OLCC, or OHA has struck this balance. I'm, I'm hopeful that they, you know, with adequate um, public comment, we might be able to, to move them. But um, I think at least in the short term, we may well be stuck with what are the, the lowest dosage limits uh, anywhere for adults. And... Uh, and it's just going to be one of those things, as many legislators certainly tell me, that, you know, we just need to to wait and it'll be phased in. About 10 days ago, I was in 
uh, Baltimore at the uh, Patients Out of Time conference and uh, on the day when Pennsylvania signed uh, the medical marijuana law and became the 24th medical marijuana state in Pennsylvania, they're going to study whether to have flowers for two years. And then they'll begin to implement that. So the fact is we are moving at a fast pace. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes, but it is. The second thing I wanted to mention was about concentrates is that um, on the um, homegrown, um, you know, the four plants, eight ounces that all adults are allowed to cultivate, we're also allowed to create and share concentrates. When we were drafting Measure 91, I called this the, um, I want, you know, when we have a potluck dinner, I want to be able to bring dessert, right? So it's, it's really, it's, there isn't any prohibition on, on that. Um, what there is a prohibition on is on extraction. And it's an unfortunate reality because the reality is that hundreds, perhaps thousands of patients and growers were safely blasting butane hash and a couple of idiots blew up houses or a bathroom at a gas station, and it's the kind of thing that created a, a, a place where the legislature reacted to it the way, that, um, the way that we created the Medical Marijuana Act, which is that if you have a license, then you're accepted from arrest and prosecution. But if you don't have a license, it's still a serious crime. In fact, in the re... Um, classification of crimes that uh, both Floyd and I spoke about, the uh, one exception is the unlawful manufacture of marijuana that involves um, extracting, uh, that involves unlicensed extracting. And that went into effect because although we used to, back in the day, only use the uh, emergency clause, which makes a law effective on passage when it really, no kidding, was an emergency. Now, the legislature does it all the time so that we can't do a referendum, basically, is the only good reason for that. And so that went into effect March 1st, that you couldn't uh, process unless you had a license, except nobody could have a license because they weren't accepting applications until April 1st. Anybody here get caught in that clusterfuck? My God, how fast are things moving when the legislature, intending to not make you a criminal, makes you a criminal. So I was involved a little bit as a part of, I'm legal counsel for, I think it's the Oregon Extractors Association, in, um, in, in, in trying to resolve that to make it so that it was like, you know, being a patient that upon application, and then of course, since it's the OHA, they made it completed application, then you have the protection of the of the law, but you know that was a that was a huge uh, problem. Speaking of law violations, just to go a little off topic, if I could, you know, one thing I've been trying to do over the last five years is to transform my practice from, uh, you know, Cedar mentioned um, I, that I had represented. I was honored to represent him years ago. And uh, but you know, I don't like really doing criminal stuff anymore. And I, the reason I did worked for 20 years to end uh, cannabis prohibition was to get out of doing criminal law, to be able to sit around the table and conspire about how to cultivate and, and extract and, and um, distribute legally instead of hearing sad stories from, from nice people about how you know, their interaction with the government included 
a raid in their home. And, but lately, there's been an uptick in my practice of uh, driving under the influence of cannabis. So I want to remind everybody that it's against the law to drive under the influence of cannabis. Floyd also mentioned that we included in the Measure 91 three times that the Measure 91 made no changes to the medical law. We also included that it made no changes to the driving under the influence law. We gave that to the OLCC, and the OLCC is required to report to the legislature in 2017. And my good news for today is that I think they're likely to recommend that that policy be continued and that we're not likely to become a per se state where they take you and forcibly draw your blood. I'm really hopeful about that. Thank you. And, and, but, um, you know, driving under the influence doesn't mean, you know, I'm all fucked up. It means that you are impaired to a perceptible degree. It means if you look like you're really impaired, then it's a problem. And in the cases, what I see are these sorts of problems. And so here's my free legal advice about driving under the influence. The first is STFU. Does everybody know what that means? It means shut the fuck up. Because, it, and, and actually my friend Jeff Steinborn, who's kind of like the dean of cannabis lawyers in the Northwest, he's graduated from Yale Law School in 1969, he's in Seattle. What he says to tell the officer is, my lawyer said he'll charge me double if I speak to you. As much as I'd like to answer your questions, I can't afford to. That puts everybody at ease. Um, the second thing is, you know, all of us cannabis criminal lawyers have for years been saying, yes, P, no, DRE. What happens is you are invited to take field sobriety tests. If they determine that they have probable cause to believe that you're under the influence, they take you to the station. They ask you to take a breath test. If it blows zero, zero, they ask you to provide a urine sample. As with the breath test, if you don't provide a urine sample, your license is suspended, you have a right to an administrative hearing, but unless there's some um, illegality by the police in the way that they obtain the sample, the suspension is likely to be upheld. All that the urine testing does, however, is show past use. It doesn't quantify when you had previously used. The drug recognition exam is problematic and it's it's complicated and it's certainly way beyond the topic of this conversation, but generally the advice that criminal lawyers have is you, you have a right to refuse it. That right cannot be held against you, and um, it's okay to refuse the DRE. Um, I'm trying to think. The, I, you know, I think, I, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable. Um, oh, one really exciting thing that the legislature did in response to uh, the medical industry is, or not the medical industry, but in the medical marijuana movement, is um, it allowed patients to take their medicine to processors and have the processors process it and return the processed medicine to the patient. And, uh, you know, uh, Pete and I were talking about it, and as best, and help me if I'm misstating this, Floyd, but as best I recall, at least in statute, that applies both to OHA licenses and to OLCC licenses. And so I guess the very last thing I'll say is, I, you know, I said early on that I thought we had accomplished in Oregon um, the best melding of the medical system and the adult use system with the least harm to patients. But where it's really pretty ridiculous is in processing. Processing 
for medical grade oil is exactly the same as processing for adult use oil. There's no reason on God's green earth why we should have to pay $4,000 twice to be able to supply both markets. And I guess so the last thought I would leave you with is that as with, you know, we're in this exciting transitional time and it's really, you know, you could get the medical license until you get the adult use license because when you have the adult use license you're able as I mentioned I think to be able to sell to patients I think the OCC is likely to adopt rules that would permit that um, and you can sell you know to medical dispensaries you know as long as they continue to exist so um, I, that's it I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'll be here to answer other specific questions that you have thank you very much <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's 20 after. That means it's 4.20 in the Pacific time zone. 7.20 out here in Hollywood, Florida. We got more Oregon marijuana legalization information coming up for you in the next segment. Pioneer Pete, one of the legendary extractors in the state of Oregon, coming up next. And followed by Anthony Taylor, one of the leading medical marijuana activists. Stay tuned. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Hey, this is Willie Nelson. For Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, everybody. It's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome! Yar, the pirates here. Har, 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 har. You're tuned into the Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, coming up next, we got Pioneer Pete, 
one of the leading extractors in the state of Oregon, discussing that topic at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. But before we get to it, I just got to express my disgust at the photos that I'm seeing on Facebook of the Vermont legislators taking a break from discussing marijuana legalization and enjoying free alcohol. Big old lines of champagne and champagne glasses while they decide that you and I should remain criminals. Here's Pioneer Pete. Good afternoon. Almost evening. It's been a good day full of terrific speakers. Top quality every single one of them. My name's Pioneer Pete. I'm the president of the Oregon Sun Grown Growers Guild. I'm the Omnibudsman. Pioneer Pete's no joke, and neither is Omnibudsman, even though we've had to make up some certain terms in order to define what I do and the way the world works right now. We've also seen several bureaucracies and even our state legislature uh, making up words and defining terms in ways that are unique over the last 18 months since the passage of Measure 91. You might be wondering, and it's a fair question to ask, why you have a current and former president of the Oregon Sun Grown Growers Guild addressing you when it comes to extracts and concentrates. Cedar is a top-notch processor who has been of fantastic benefit to people throughout the medical market for years now, and will be transitioning his business into servicing the adult use market as well. Uh, I have literally decades of experience under my belt processing alcohols, oils, butters, uh, waxes. We've done various solventless processes. Uh, most recently, CO2, butane. Um, the necklace that I wear is actually a patient testimonial from back in 2009 when I had a patient whose arthritis and neuropathy and neuralgia was so bad that he couldn't do the beadwork that he loved. And the doctor basically gave him a prescription that said, this will take the edge off, but it'll make you pretty much unable to function, so go home, watch soap operas, and wait for your time. He didn't find that to be an adequate answer. He came to where I volunteered my time then at Voter Power, and uh, signed up for the OMMP and is my patient. And six months later, after using this concentrate that I make, he was able to do this peyote stitch, which is inarguably the most difficult stitch in the world of beadwork. The people at the OSGG know more than a little bit about concentrates and extracts. I actually had somebody ask me recently why they should care about sun-grown because they only smoke indoors. And I said, oh, really? I'm pretty sure that more than 75% of everybody here has had some good sun-grown in the last couple of months, and 95% of us started out on sun-grown whether we knew it or not. And he said, well, you can't tell me that because I only vape. And I said, oh, you mean you have one of these? Two-thirds of the cannabis in the state of Oregon is grown within a 50-mile radius of my house, and that's sun-grown, and that's what is in every single one of these. Even the people that don't know they're smoking sun-grown are smoking sun-grown. This is a top-quality CO2 with no flow agents, no additives, nothing else in it, no adulterants. Adulterants are included in the new language as well for processors. Everything has to be on the label, whether you're extracting, concentrating, or you plan on joining those of us in the near future that are going to be compounding. 
We're on a schedule today. We have another panel coming up before our end-of-the-day feature presentation, so I'm not going to go too far into this, but the bioscience behind this and the chemical science that's involved in this is so deep now. We have proof, among other things, of the entourage effect between cannabinoids and terpenes that are in this plant, and we have another couple of dozen compounds that we just think may affect the way that we process cannabinoids, but it hasn't been thoroughly studied yet. The language as it's written in the law right now does not allow you to adulterate products. However, recombination of cannabinoids and terpenes is legal the way the language is written, and we're going to see a proliferation of products that are not only more targeted towards patients' needs, but more targeted towards adult users' needs as well. I want to address the difference for a second here because just like Lee's statement that there's really no difference between me making a medical extract or making an adult use extract, there's really no difference between the adult users and the medical users. It's just degrees of use. You talk to any dispensary owner and their adult use clients are coming in asking for things to help with their backaches asking them for things they can work on during the day, asking them for things they'll help to sleep at night. Those people are all self-medicating, and they have been for a long time. We've just now given them permission to do it legally, and these concentrates, the way the law defines it, is something they'll be able to make for themselves at home in limited quantities with their four adult-use plants, but when it comes to the real potent, potent materials, the extracts in the pens, the things that are not arguably more hazardous to produce, they are, they require a level of skill for everybody's safety, those are going to come from licensed producers just like they would in any other industry. We will be working with, I hesitate to use the phrase, pharmaceutical-grade products in the very near future if we aren't already. The nature of consumption is actually changing because of the abilities that we've reached just in a handful of years under the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. In the last 18 months, now that use is legal for, by the state's figures, four to five times more people, we have that much more interest. We'll see, among other things in the near future here, a discussion about reducing the fees for licensing. Wait, he said what? Reducing the fees for licensing? How is that possible? Since when did a regulatory agency ever make it easier on the people that they regulate? I told the OLCC when we got into this, I also served on the Licensing Compliance and Enforcement Committee there, that the numbers that they were looking at were not correct. They estimated too high on the cost per license. They estimated too low on the number of licensees. And I told them so. And they said that I was making numbers up and that they had numbers from real actuarials that were based on other states and division by the population base. And I went, wow, you have numbers from real actuarials. It sounds like you're really making things up now. What do actuarials do? They make numbers up. 
the numbers aren't any more real just because they came from real actuarials. They were just basically accusing me of being a fake actuarial. I take umbrage at that. Anyway, it turns out that I was right. Um, we're on track for 1,000 licensees in the first six months of the year. The review process for licenses they originally proposed to be every other year. I've recommended repeatedly that it be reviewed every year, especially in these initial phases, because this is very volatile. They're looking at collecting $5 million in revenue just from license applicants, and over 200 of those license applicants will be processors and extractors like myself, and that is in the first six months of this year. It is a dramatic difference. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent because we're just talking about a few million dollars here. But I was listening to Lars Larson recently complain that the $40 million we're going to make from marijuana revenue this year isn't that much money and that it wasn't very significant. I really wanted to get on the air and ask him if that meant he thought we should be smoking more pot, but his producer didn't think that was a good idea. So we're changing the nature of consumption, and that is part of the reason that the OLCC's actuarial numbers were off, is because the proliferation of concentrated and dedicated products is higher, and the knowledge of the consumers is higher than it's ever been at the past. That targeted application, whether you're calling it medication or recreation, is something that we're all benefiting from through the extracts and concentrates process, at the end of the day here, it looks like we're going to have about 250 licensees in those categories serving between 400,000 and 500,000 people, and the number will be higher depending on how much tourism business this generates. I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas, but I'm going to guess that some of our neighbors are coming to visit us because we have access to something that they've only dreamed of their entire lives. So we have just a few minutes left for pointed questions from our processors and extractors in the audience, and I'm going to say in closing, I cannot emphasize how important it is to be involved in this process. We have between now and June 3rd to put our comments in. Go to my favorite website, marijuana.oregon.gov, read what they've posted there, and comment on it both your objections and your affirmations. Go to the Oregon Health Authority's website, read what their proposed rules are. Go to your local meeting. We're having them in Bend, Eugene, Medford, and Portland over the course of the next four weeks. Voice your concerns, do it twice. Do it before they reveal the final draft rules on May 25th and do it a second time before the end of the comment period on June 3rd. The comments you put in before May 25th will be comments that they use in the proposed draft. The comments we put in after May 25th are our objections to the proposed draft. And if you want to see something like me being charged twice as much, or Cedar being charged twice as much, you want to see that being prevented? we got to get those comments in, and when they ignore them, we have to re-comment on them in order for it to work. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck with these rules for another year or two. And if you don't know this yet, let me tell you, businesses don't pay taxes. People pay taxes. 
Every additional expense you put onto the producers and processors is ultimately paid by the end user, bar none. Keep our costs down and allow us to be responsible and do what we're good at, and we'll provide top quality affordable products for all of the state of Oregon. Thank you. That's Pioneer Pete speaking at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference and very wise words. You know, it's almost counterintuitive to the prohibitionists out there, but what they would like to see for marijuana legalization and what we would like to see for marijuana legalization would best be served by allowing the market to move forward with as few restrictions and onerous provisions as possible. I know they think that's going to lead to massive increases in marijuana use, but I'm telling you, it will not. The people who want to smoke pot have been smoking pot all along. They just want to be legal when they're doing it. When we come back, we've got Anthony Taylor for the patient's perspective when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the the, the king, right? You just have, you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 20 minutes to the 
top of the hour, and we've got more highlights from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Anthony Taylor has been a longtime advocate for patients' rights in the state of Oregon. He got the chance to speak at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference that took place in Eugene, Oregon, just this last Sunday. Turn things over to Anthony. So a patient, a caregiver, and a grower walk into a bar. That's all I got. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about growing. I'm also going to follow up on some of the remarks made by Senator Przonski, who has been one of our warriors and champions in the in the state legislature and uh, really uh, proud to be able to say that I've worked with him on a couple of things and I really appreciate his uh, passion. I have seen him stand and <coughs> excuse me and be the only vote against what everybody else is voting for. And as I wrote in one song uh, that I wrote a few years ago, when you stand up for what you believe, um, you sometimes stand alone. And uh, it gives me great, great pleasure to, uh, to know uh, Senator Przonski and all the work he's doing down there. He's a great, uh, great warrior for us. So as Anthony said, I've been doing this for a long time. I first started lobbying in Salem in 1983 and have been doing it ever since with some breaks here and there. You can only take that building so long and you got to do something else <laughs> for a session or two to kind of catch your breath. And I really admire those people that are in there every day slugging it out, looking at two, 3,000 pieces of legislation. I think in the 2015 session, those of us that were in the trenches probably read in excess of 3,000 pages of legislation and tried to make sense of it all so we could come here and explain it to you folks. So, um, as Senator Przonski said, um, in this last session we passed um, a number of bills. The three main ones I'm going to kind of talk about here as they pertain to growing and, and uh, infused products uh, were House Bill 4014, Senate Bill 1511, and Senate Bill um, 1598. The first one, House Bill 4014, removed all the residency requirements for OLCC and OHA licensees and registrants, except for patients. So while... <clears throat> Somebody from Washington can come into this state and buy their commercial marijuana and take it home with them. A patient from Delaware can't come into the state of Oregon and take his medicine home with him. So there are some things like that that we need to take care of and address at the patient level. Um, <clears throat> but uh, 4014 also made it very clear that while in 2015 the legislature passed plant limits for medical marijuana growers, they didn't intend to limit the number of patients that could be taken care of at those addresses. So they clarified that language and now say that as long as you stay under the plant limits of 48, 96, 12, or 24, you can grow for as many patients as you feel you can adequately take care of. And now with the personal agreement that's out there kind of floating right now until one actually gets drafted and we can kind of see what it's, what it's going to look like, um, that's going to help with everybody. So 
patient knows what they're getting, the grower knows what is, is expected of them, and I think that'll work to help with patients because one of the things that we noticed, if you look at the numbers provided by the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program, is that as many as 30,000 patients could have been affected by that, those plant limits. And so this language, along with language <clears throat> that says OLCC will allow the same sort of thing, is going to be kind of a safety net for all these patients that may lose their growers in this process of getting everybody under the new plant limits. <clears throat> so that's a good thing. So, for instance, if you're growing for 90, if you have your address grandfathered in and you're growing 96 plants, you could technically be taking care of 96 patients. Depends on your expertise as a grower. Um, and many, many uh, growers already do this. They've got their eight patients or their 16 or 20 patients or whatever, but they're also helping out other patients that aren't even on their, on their register. So um, <clears throat> being able to grow, uh, take care of as many patients as you can take care of is uh, really good. Um, <clears throat> Uh, 4014 also had language that prohibits cities and counties to adopt ordinances interfere with an adult or patient's right to produce, process, or possess what they're allowed to possess by law. So some of these kinds of languages are going to take some time to work through the process at the local level because, for instance, in Yamhill County, uh, which is where I live, they had to take a breath and write their land use compatibility statement ordinance for cannabis. So that took about six weeks. But now it's a go. And so um, these sorts of things, as we get through them and deal with things on the local level, um, it's, it's going to benefit uh, the patients. Now, I know there's a lot of concern around land use issues. And I'll tell you that in 2012, when I jumped back into this fray, I never expected to become a land use expert. So I didn't. But Robert Graham's going to help with that and, and, and talk to you about that. The other interesting thing <clears throat> about uh, 4014 is it it requires the OHA to put together a work group to, um, for physicians and the healthcare community that deals with marijuana uh, and report back to the legislature and um, get some of the clinical guidelines set up. For a long time, we felt that the clinics, <clears throat> when it comes to patients and dealing with patients, are going to be an integral part of integrating cannabis into the healthcare landscape in Oregon because if we do it right and raise these patients, these clinics to the level where other physicians in the Oregon healthcare networks can refer patients, then that really helps and that begins the process of integrating cannabis uh, into the medical thing. So um, in 1511, that is the one that allows for Growers, medical growers that want to transition to OLCC and take their patients with them. This is going to be a little complicated until OLCC gets the rules written on it. But I think this is going to be another way that patients are going to have uh, an, an additional safety net. 
because one of the incentives for bringing your patients with you is you get a little bit more canopy. So if you're a tier two outdoor producer and you've got 40,000 square feet and you want to bring your 40 or 50 patients with you, you can do that. And as long as you're, you know, recording and reporting everything, it should work pretty smoothly. There's some glitches uh, about how the medical, the product produced by the medical side of the garden gets into the supply stream, but we'll get those worked out here, and then uh, I think it's going to be a, a really good way f uh, to capture some of these patients that are beginning to lose their growers. I sat uh, on a, I spoke at a meeting a couple of weeks ago where people were really concerned about these plant limits and the ability to still service their patients and how to work through that. And so there are paths through that so that you don't have to tell all your patients to find a new grower, but um, you will have to do some reporting, whether it's OLCC or OHA. OLCC, of course, is a little tougher, a little more stringent than OHA, but nonetheless, you're going to have to report to one of those agencies if you're participating in the commercial aspects of marijuana production, whether it's medical or recreational. Um, however, if you're growing for yourself and you, one family member at your own address, that doesn't apply. As long as you don't transfer anything or intend to transfer anything into a dispensary, you do not have to report as long as your 12 plants are under, grown at the address where both patients live. You start transferring, though, you've got to create an online account by June 1st and report what you're doing. Now, on the OHA side, it's really just evident, ev event-based. So by June 1st, you have to create your online account. By June 10th, you have to submit your first report. I'm not sure all the framework is in place for this yet, but it will be. And so, as I said, it's event-based. So on... May 15th, you planted 48 plants. So that's your first report. And on the next month, yeah, they're still growing. That's your second report. <clears throat> and on your third, re on the third month, you pulled three of them because they were rotten or whatever happened or they were invaded by spider mites. That's what your report reflects. So you took down three and you replaced them with three. All those events have to be reported and then at harvest you have to report what you did with the product after you harvested it and you have to keep it segregated there's a number of new rules for medical growers about segregating things you have to make sure that all your plants are ID'd for the patient and that your four plants that you're growing recreationally are kind of separated and then once you've harvest, you have to separate all the product into bins with patient-specific numbers on them. I know it's not how we do it. We normally pull all our plants or harvest in set, you know, phases or whatever, and then it's all put together in one big bin at the end of harvest, separated by strains. And if a patient comes in and wants two ounces of lemon kush or you know, bubba kush or whatever it might be, you give it to them, but now it all has to be separated. The downside is, is part of the enforcement is if you don't follow some of these rules, you risk losing the whole garden. So um, be mindful of that. Make sure you get your accounts established and start reporting. And 
Um, for those outdoor growers, you may, this is kind of tricky. If you're just growing for yourself, you're only allowed to possess 24 ounces. Six mature plants, but 24 ounces in your possession, that's all you're allowed to have. But if you're a designated grower, if you've been designated to produce marijuana by somebody else, you can keep everything you produce up to 12 pounds of plant. Now, that doesn't mean that you can produce three pounds of plant and bring in nine pounds from someplace else. (laughs) But, you know, at the end of the day, you're allowed finally at a certain level to keep what you produce and to keep it safely. So that's great for medical growers because they've always been stuck with the dispensary program. They had an outlet if they had a good relationship with their dispensary where they could take their product But now as we see dispensaries start to become fewer and fewer as they transition into OLCC, that market becomes less and less available. So this ability to possess 12 pounds of plant really protects those medical growers as they've never been protected before. It's... It's six pounds of plant if you're an indoor grower. If you're growing in a greenhouse and doing light depth, that's an outdoor grow. But if you put lights on mature plants in that greenhouse, it's now an indoor grow. And you're only allowed six pounds per plant. So the light deppers, you have to keep that in mind. Anytime you put lights on mature plants, it's now an indoor grow. And you're subject to those limits rather than the outdoor grow limits. So keep that in mind. There... You know, there was a lot of discussion initially about the, the, you know, the tiers, indoor and outdoor, and there needed to be one created for greenhouse. So that'll probably happen next session um, because there are some certain, you know, aspects of growing in greenhouses that really need to be addressed. And light depth is, is, uh, is one of those. One interesting thing is the legislature put into a language that says that local jurisdictions can, in fact, repeal an ordinance they adopt to prohibit marijuana. They can repeal that, actually. Um, But the reason they put that language in there is in case they do repeal an ordinance that they adopted prohibiting licenses or OHA people is so that the OLCC and the OHA know when they can start issuing licenses after that ordinance has been repealed. Uh, Medical grow sites. You're required to report what you're doing. And so if you're a patient grower at a multiple grower address, you're required to report to OHA, create an account and report to OHA what's going on every month with your six plants. So if you have a garden, for instance, that's got 16 patients and they're all their own growers, that means the OHA is going to look at 16 different reports for the same address. So they adopted language that allows multiple grower gardens to designate a person responsible for that reporting so that you don't have to mess with it. And this is, this is big because many gardens have patients that list themselves as growers that have never been to the garden. And so it would be hard for them to report. 
And so allowing one person to um, make those reports, I think, is a, is a good thing, and it's going to make life easier for everybody, including the agencies that have to read all those reports. Okay, so for recreational growers, the OLCC has really done a great job of trying to address or trying to create a safety net for patients for the next couple of years by creating these micro canopies and allowing you to bring your patients with you. I think this is really important, and I really appreciate the OLCC is taking more care for patients than the OHA ever has. And I think they need to be applauded and respected for that. Anthony Taylor is one of the leading medical marijuana advocates in the state of Oregon. And some great information there from the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. I'm Radical Russ, live from Hollywood, Florida. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll shut down the show, say our goodbyes, and preview tomorrow's show. Thanks for joining us. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Well, folks, that's all the time we've got for today's show. Thanks for joining us here. We'll be back tomorrow live from Hollywood, Florida, with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.
Smoking and it goes down smooth.